Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to him, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, and you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you. And understand, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. These are the words of the living God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for gathering us together to worship your holy name this Lord's Day. Uh, We pray that you would bless us now as we look into your word and help us to be free from distractions and focus on the things that are contained therein. Help us to be attentive to your word by your spirit. We plead with you now for these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, in our day, it is not uncommon for people to try to worship God in their own way. Uh, There is this mentality out there in our culture today that says, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Your worship is your worship. You worship God in your way, and I'll worship God in my way. And as we will see, it was very much the same in the day in which Jesus was living. Men had come up with their own rules on how they were to go about honoring God, and as Christians, many times we do the same thing, and so we need to be on guard against this. We have sinful hearts, and it is in our nature to try to do things our own way, is it not? But as we will see, this only leads to corruption. So two points today, just two. The first one is we cannot honor God in any old way. We must honor Him His way. We cannot honor God any old way. We must honor Him His way. That is number one. And number two, since our corruption comes from within, we cannot cleanse ourselves from without. So corruption is within, we cannot cleanse ourselves from without. So we're going to see that first point starting back in verses 1 through 5, but we see it throughout the section um, 
uh, in verses 1 through 13. So back in 1 through 5, we read, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come up from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Okay, so we're looking at We cannot honor God in any old way. We must honor Him His way. Just to give a little bit of context for uh, what's going on here, this discussion comes right on the heels of the discussion that Jesus had with the unbelieving Jews last week in the Bread of Life discourse. Jesus and the disciples are still on the western side of the Sea of Galilee where they went after He fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread. And that conversation that Jesus has with the unbelieving Jews takes place in the town, uh, uh, in the town of uh, Capernaum, or as we say down south, Capernaum. Um, I don't know. That's how I always said it. Um, so in Capernaum, and Jesus ventures out into that region, Galilee, uh, uh, which uh, the uh, that region right around Cap- uh, Capernaum, which is in Galilee, and he is doing ministry. And this is where the Pharisees and the scribes come and confront him. Okay, so that's where we find ourselves today. Uh, here in our passage, we see that the tension between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day is beginning to ramp up. As we have said, Jesus and the disciples have been going about doing ministry. Jesus has been preaching and performing miracles, and so have they. And this has gathered them um, a considerable following at points, and it has created um, some attention. And so the Uh, religious leaders are now coming to scope things out, as it were. They want to see what's going on with Jesus and this strange band of disciples uh, that follow him around. And this is not the first time that they have come to check Jesus out. There has been one prior event to this in Mark's Gospel back in chapter 3, verse 22. But here we see that they come to take a crack at Jesus, as it were. They want to try to put Jesus into a bind. His disciples eat with unwashed hands. His disciples eat with unwashed hands, which was a violation of the so-called tradition of the elders. You see, the truth of God's Word was being perverted in the days of Jesus, much as it is in the day in which we are living. The only people who needed to wash their hands after doing something according to the law of God were the priests. Uh, After... Uh, when they went into before they went into the tabernacle to ha- handle the holy things of God, and if somebody had a um, a discharge or if they uh, touched the bodily discharge, then they were to wash their hands afterwards. But any other way, people were not required to wash their hands before they ate. So, what have the scribes and the Pharisees done here? They have gone above and beyond the law of God. They want to be extra holy, and in their efforts to be ultra spiritual, they end up rejecting the law of God and denying the contents of it. Over the years, they had come up with many of these different ceremonies and um, traditions for people washing their hands before they did things, and here they say that they need to wash their hands before they eat. And this stems from what is um, known as the oral law tradition, or in our passage today, it's referred to as the tradition of the elders. 
Okay, now this oral law was supposedly given by God on Mount Sinai alongside his written law. And this oral law kind of was an explanation of the commandments uh, that was passed down verbally, and through the years it continued to evolve. And the Pharisees said that this law was authoritative, this uh, verbal law, that it was binding on a person's uh, life. The uh, oral law came to be known today as what we refer to as the Mishnah. You may have heard uh, this referred to before, the the Mishnah, which is um, the Jewish explanation of how we are to apply the laws of God. And it came to be known as what is called a fence. It's like a fence around the law of God that um, keeps us free from going out of bounds when we are interpreting the law of God. It's, It's kind of set up to guard us or protect us. But actually what it does is it guards us and protects us from the actual truth of God's word, right? Um, Now, we cannot know for certain if this oral law was actually given there at Mount Sinai, but what we do know is that by the days of Jesus, it had been perverted to the point that Jesus refers to it as the traditions of men. Um, That is, it comes from us. It is not words from God. It is words from men and Words from men can have no binding authority over any man. Look at verses 6 through 8. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honors me, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. In Jesus' response to the Pharisees and the scribes, he quotes from both the law and the prophets. He quotes from both Isaiah and uh, the law of Moses. The first citation comes from the book of Isaiah, one of the prophets, and there Isaiah is condemning the people of his day for superficial worship. They worship God, they honor God with their lips, but not with their hearts, and therefore their worship is empty. Outwardly, it would seem as if these men were religious, as if they were worshiping the true God, but the evidence that they are not is found in the fact that they have stuck their traditions in the place of the law of God. So Jesus starts his condemnation by calling them hypocrites. And I think hypocrite is a fitting condemnation, because to be a hypocrite is to play the part. That's what it means, like an actor in a play who wears a mask. And these men played the part. They wore the religious garb, They spoke the religious language. They did all the ritualistic practices, but all of these things were empty because their hearts were far from God. The evidence that their hearts are far from God, that their hearts are not right, is found in the fact that they follow traditions instead of the law of God. That's important to get for our study today. The evidence that their hearts are not right is found in the fact that they follow traditions instead of the law of God. Look at verses 9 through 13. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and many such things you do. 
So here Jesus gives us an example of the sort of thing they do by citing the law of God. He says you have a fine way of rejecting the law of God for your tradition. And you might, uh, you might sense the, um, the bit of sarcasm in Jesus' voice there. <laughs> uh, he is about to expose the utter absurdity of their way of thinking. The religious leaders of the day had come up with a tradition known as Corbin. And Corbin said that if you took some of your money and you dedicated it to God, when you declared it to God, it could no longer be used for a common purpose. And so um, if you did this thing, that was it. You no longer had the obligation to use your money to take care of your parents later on in life. So it was a loophole. Get that? It is a loophole that the Pharisees created in the system to get around the law of God. Law of God says that you must honor your father and mother, which necessitates you helping to take care of them later on in life, if need be. And the Pharisees came up with a law that um, sets you free from that aspect of the law. Right? Now, there's some ambiguity here with respect to our understanding of exactly how this all worked, but the principle is clear. God had given a commandment which placed certain obligations on people's lives, right? The Pharisees came up with another commandment that freed them from those obligations. You see that? <clears throat> so what Jesus has masterfully done here is he's quoted the law and the prophets to refute, uh, refute man-made traditions. Jesus quotes Isaiah, and he quotes uh, the law. They say the tradition of the elders. Jesus says, essentially, the law and the prophets, which, again, by the way, is the only Bible that they had in that day. So Jesus again, is appealing to Scripture as his ultimate authority. Just as when he was in the confrontation with the devil, he quotes the Bible. He's quoting the Bible again here to the Pharisees. Now, none of this applies to us, right? We don't have any traditions. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't come up with any loopholes to try to free ourselves from the obligations that God has placed on our lives, have we? We don't do this sort of thing. We never take the law of God and say, yeah, you know, it says that, but I do this instead. We never do that, right? Friends, it is in our nature to look for loopholes, um, to try to find things so that we can slip out of our responsibilities that God has placed upon our lives. I'll give you an example. Um, The law of God is clear. It says, "You, you shall honor the Sabbath and sometimes keep it holy. Is that what it says? It says, you shall honor the Sabbath, but that's what we make it out to say, right? But it says, you shall honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. The Sabbath is to be a holy convocation where, convocation where the people gather together to worship the Lord. And on that day, they rested, they worshiped, and they rejoiced before God, and we are to do the same. But we come up with excuses, Right? You know, family came into town, and so we decided to take them out to dinner instead, right? We don't want to neglect family, right? <laughs> or this, this is one that I really love. You know, it was Super Bowl Sunday, Pastor, so we had to stay home and, and prepare the food for the party. You know, we were having a big party later on. That's why we weren't here last Sunday. Or, uh, you know, the boys made the traveling team this year, and they play all weekend long, so we couldn't come last week, and it just goes on and on and on. We have all these sorts of excuses that we make up for not doing what God has told us to do with respect to the Sabbath. We come up with all of these excuses instead uh, to, to 
that we can use instead of gathering together as he has called us to do so. Um, in our culture today, Sunday is no longer sanctified. Uh, people do not esteem it or honor it. Fifty years ago, if you would have went down to the stores, they would have all been uh, shut down in honor of the Sabbath, but now it is a shopping extra- extravaganza. According to our culture, Sunday is no longer the Lord's Day, it's fun day. Have you heard this? You've heard this, right? Sunday, fun day, right? That is the day when we drop our boats into the water and we go out there on the lake water skiing or fishing, you know, that, or that's the day when we go golfing or whenever we go hunting. I've heard people say silly things to me like, you know, I worship God on Sunday out there on the boat all by myself in the middle of the water. It's just me and Jesus. There's nothing like it. No, you don't. <laughs> because that God calls you to gather, to gather together corporately with his people on Sunday morning and worship. Now, there is, I want you to hear me on this. There's nothing wrong with any of these things that I've mentioned in and of themselves. As a matter of fact, they're perfectly fine to do on Sunday morning. But when we, when we make them our priority and we neglect our obligation to gather together with the people of God and worship on Sunday morning, instead we have rejected the commandment of God for the sake of our tradition. And we need to be careful with that. These things can become our tradition. These things can be given even greater honor in our lives than God. And when they do, when we neglect the word of God, and we neglect God for the sake of our tradition, we are no better than the Pharisees. We are not to order our lives around these things. Our obligation is to God, which is our highest priority. And these other things are to take a back seat. Our lives are to revolve around our worship and service of God. And so it is our obligation to God and then these other things. Then these other things fall in line. But we have a first commitment. We have a first priority. That is honoring God. And we honor God by doing what He says. Listen, friends, when we begin to prop up our traditions in the place of God's Word, we are the ones who are truly defiled. Uh, The Pharisees of Jesus' day said that the disciples were defiled because they ate with unwashed hands, when in all actuality, they were the ones who were defiled because they took their tradition and they stuck it in the place of God's Word. And we need to be careful not to do this. We need to be careful not to let our desire for comfort and convenience to get in the way of our relationship with God. We need to be careful to not allow our traditions to come between us and God. So we have seen that we cannot honor God in any old way. We must honor Him in His way. Cannot honor God in any old way. Just don't make it up according to our whims. We must honor Him in His way, the way that He tells us to in His Word. Number two, since our corruption comes from within, we cannot cleanse ourselves from without. Since our corruption comes from within, it's in here. We can't cleanse ourselves with anything out here. Right, The cleansing needs to happen in here. Can't cleanse ourselves from without. Verses 14 through 23, we'll finish up. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. 
And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So what Jesus does here is he points to the real source of defilement. Their complaint was that the disciples ate with unwashed hands. And Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. The defilement does not come from without. It's not out there. The defilement comes from within. It's not what you put into your mouth that defiles you, but it's what comes out of your mouth from your heart that defiles you. So what is Jesus pointing to as the real source of corruption here? The heart, right? Which is inside here. The heart of man is corrupt, and therefore the things that come out of it are what corrupt a man. We cannot blame it on the outside world. The problem is not out there. (laughs) The problem is not with it or them. The problem is with us. The problem is in here. Ever since the fall of man, men are born with sinful and wicked hearts. And therefore, we don't need anything out there to corrupt us because we're already corrupt. You got that? That we are corrupt from within. Now, what Jesus does here is he skillfully breaks down the kind of things that expose our corruption into into two different categories. And he gives us a list of 12 things that expose our corruption. And the first six are things that begin in our hearts, sins that begin in our hearts, but then they manifest themselves in our lives. That is, they are sinful inclinations that we have, but they rear their ugly heads through the things that we do with our bodies. Right? So that's the first six. The second six are sins of the heart. These are sort of sinful dispositions, the characteristics or behaviors of sinful people. And so it's two things, really. Sins that we see people commit with their hands, in short, sins that we see people commit with their hands, and sins that we see people commit with their hearts. All right? I'm going to break that down for you. Now, without going into each one of these particular sins mentioned, we can make some applications. Um, there are two. Sins of the hands, sins of the heart. When we look at our own lives, where do some of these things come to expression, these sins that begin in the heart and then manifested in the things that we do with our hands, or these sinful inclinations, these dispositions that are sinful that we see in people. Where, does, where do we see some of these things coming to expression? What are some of the things that we need to be on guard against so that we not give ourselves to these sorts of things? Well, first, sins of the hand that begin in the heart. Okay, Sins of the hands that begin in the heart. Uh, What are some of the things that we need to watch out for in the church that begin in our hearts but then manifest themselves in our actions? 
Well, bitterness and unforgiveness are two really big ones, I think, that we need to be on guard against. Bitterness and unforgiveness. Um, Sometimes people in the church will do something that offends you, right? And you won't say anything to them about it, but you will keep that offense in your heart. You'll treasure it up as it were. And then as time goes on, you're eventually going to rub shoulders with that person in the church again, especially in a church our size. And since that thing has been festering and you've not dealt with it, eventually it's going to come out. You'll either say something to that person inappropriately or in a way that you should not, or you'll begin talking behind their back or something else uh, like this. And this is why we need to be careful to nip any offense in the bud as soon as possible. Nip it in the bud right away, because if, if we don't, what happens is it breeds division in the church. And that rift between you and the other person will continue to grow, especially when you're worshiping and serving together, and it will continue to increase as you do that, and it'll eventually have an effect on you and the people who are in your immediate circles. And what happens is we begin breaking up into little cliques, and you have this group over here that won't fellowship with that group over there, all because of this thing that you didn't deal with in the past. Once in a while we say things to express our bitterness and our resentment and our unforgiveness that are hurtful and damaging to the body as a whole. And we need to be on guard against this sort of thing because it will divide the church and it will continue to divide the church until it eventually splits. So offenses that are not dealt with are very dangerous things in the church. I think many of you met my friend Mark Taylor when he was here for my ordination. Um, The relationship that I have with Mark Taylor is the result of a, um, a disagreement or an offense that was had between me and him that we handled in a biblical way. I had said something in a Bible study that offended Mark, and so one day Mark came to me and he, he invited me out to lunch to talk about some of these things. And when I realized uh, what I had done, I repented of it and I apologized, and that resulted in a very fruitful relationship between me and Mark. As a matter of fact, Mark became one of my mentors and my best friends as a result of that. And that's obvious because the guy traveled 1,200 miles up here to see me ordained. And I will be completely honest with you, I don't know if I would be standing here today if it wasn't for Mark. Some of the blessings that came out of that relationship with Mark were the direct result of me being ready to be called as your pastor last October and November when you were looking for somebody, believe it or not. And so it matters. Um, Bitterness and resentment is a sin that begins... In the heart, and it must be rooted out. Lest it manifest itself in damaging ways to the church. What are some of the other ones? Well, obviously, lust and envy are huge. Uh, lust and envy begin in the heart, right? But then they manifest themselves in the things that we do with our hands and with our feet and uh, the things that we say with our mouths. Kids and teenagers, this is very important for you to get kids and teenagers, those thoughts that you have about other boys and girls that you see in school in your heart, the way that you think about them will eventually manifest themselves. Um, They will be revealed, those thoughts will be revealed in the way that you talk to those people later on, the things that you say to them, the places that you're willing to go with them, and the things that you are willing to do with them. I'll give you an example to have an effect on the way that you communicate with them. 
the messages that you're willing to send to them and the messages that you're willing to receive from them, whether that be on Facebook, social media, Snapchat, or some other venue. The thoughts that you have, the way you think about these other boys and girls that you see matter because it will reveal itself later on in the things that you do. And for, for adults, it's the same, right? For us, it is exactly the same. We have to be careful about how we allow these lustful and greedy and envious thoughts that we have about people and things that we see, because if we're not careful, those thoughts will draw us away and cause us to do things that we ought not. So we have to be careful with that. We have to be careful about how we think in our hearts about the things that we see and the people that we see. The other type of sin that I will mention just briefly is a sinful disposition or a behavior that characterizes sinful people. So it's a a sinful disposition. It's a characteristic. You'll run into people uh, sometimes who are consumed with themselves, right? They think that they are just the greatest thing in the world, and they're always going on about how great they are without even batting an eye, right? This is a sinful disposition. Uh, You have other people who are complainers. They're constantly complaining about everything in the world around them, complaining, complaining, complaining. Complaining is a sinful disposition, It's another sinful disposition. And then you have other people who just think that they're the greatest thing to ever walk the face of the earth. And it's evident when you get on their social media account and look at the things they say, they're always on there talking about how awesome they are and congratulating themselves on their latest accomplishment. Okay, These are sinful dispositions that sometimes crop up in the church, and we need to be careful with that. Because they manifest themselves, they reveal themselves in Christians too. Because we have sinful hearts. Friends, our hearts are not free from defilement, and the evidence is found in the fact that these sorts of behaviors continue to manifest themselves in our lives. It's found in the fact that sometimes we take our own laws, the laws that we make up on our own, our traditions, and we stick them into the place of God's Word. As Christians, we've been cleansed from our defilements by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we've been given new hearts that beat for Him, but we still have a sinful nature. And we still have improper thoughts. And we're still slothful and lazy and try to get out from under the obligations that God places on our lives. And it's in your nature to do this. It's part of what it means to be a sinner. And this is why we must look to Christ to cleanse us constantly. This is why we must look to Christ to renew our minds so that we might think rightly about our relationship with Him so that we would do that which is pleasing to God instead of that which is pleasing to us. It's in our nature to try to come up with our own traditions to abide by, (laughs) to try to figure it out, to try to dictate what pleases God, to try to determine in and of ourselves what is right and pleasing in the sight of God. And we need Jesus to free us from this delusion. We need Jesus to free us from this propensity of trying to cleanse ourselves through these meaningless rituals. And this is me too, believe it. Try to make up my own laws and stick them in the place of God's. We all do it. We need Jesus to reorient, to reorient us, to redirect us so that we would stop making excuses, so that we would stop sticking things, our own traditions, our own means, our own made-up stuff in the place 
of God's. And we need Jesus so that we would truly honor him, not just with our lips, but indeed with all of our life. So in summary, we have seen that in the days of Jesus Christ, the law of God had been perverted. Men had taken it and put their own meaningless traditions in its place. And indeed, these traditions were empty and they were void of any inability to bring anybody into a real meaningful relationship with God. And in our day, it's much the same. We stick our own traditions, our laws in the place of God's, and this is dangerous to our spiritual well-being. Our hearts have been corrupted by sin, and because of this, we do not honor God as we ought. We need Jesus to cleanse us and constantly renew our minds and redirect our lives by his word so that we would indeed honor him with our hearts and our lives. So let us be careful not to try to come up with our own rules to cleanse ourselves in the sight of God because none of them can or will. The corruption is from within and we need Jesus to reach down deep and cleanse us from the inside out to give us clean hands and clean hearts Because only if he gives us clean hearts will we ever be able to truly say we have clean hands. Let's pray.